I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm the host. And with me in the studio tonight is Tony Kerr, who... Actually, what is it you do around here, Tony? Oh, that's good. You just kind of hang around well, here, I just kind of hang around, you know, provide the real emotional core of the podcast. We are coming towards the end of your probation period now. <laughs> four-year probation period. We've got an appraisal yeah. coming up in a couple of weeks' time where I'll let you know my decision as to uh, whether or not you are going to be staying on with us. Well, I think it's, you know, they'll, uh, the bosses, Rubicon and the uh, the other bosses, will probably cut, you know, cut the middle management, cut you, and I'll be left, I'll fill the dirty void that you've left, the middle toxic void. Middle management is a thankless task, isn't it? And that's what I have to live with here. Just I'm kind of like, I'm the talent, you're the... You're the kind of, you're the suit. You're I'm the, the bureaucracy. <laughs> you're the, yeah, exactly. You're just here to kind of just move me from one topic to another. <laughs> just uh, relay relay instructions between the guys in corporate, the top the top dogs, and uh, and the talent in Tony Kerr. But you I mean you're just kind of doing like payroll and yeah, <laughs> just like kind of don't know scheduling, you know, rotoring. <laughs> How's it going this week, Tone? It's going well. Did you enjoy the wedding? Listeners might remember last week we we talked about this. We, we at the weekend, uh, two of our best friends got married to each other. Did you enjoy the day? Yeah, yeah, fabulous, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It sounded like you Beautiful. were during the okay. during the speeches. I was sat way on the other side of the room to you, but you, your laugh was the only laugh I could hear. <laughs> I mean, other people were laughing as well, but you were laughing far louder than anyone else during the best man speech and stuff. I did suspect you might have. Been a few champagnes down at that point. No, it was very. It was. It, you know, we were just having a right laugh at it. Really, I think my favourite bit was the groom's speech. Yeah. Uh, which you know he'd, he'd written up. He's obviously a little bit nervous. You know, wanted to kind of deliver his, his you know, what he had to say clearly. Uh, you know, unlike me, I never write anything up for this. <laughs> it's kind of like should probably do that if I got married. Uh, but yeah, he was like reading, and he's like, and you know, kind of got to the bottom of the page as as he was reading. I'd just like to say that the uh, that Cassie, my bride, looks just absolutely. And then he just flipped the page and like kind of put his face uh, magical today. <laughs> it was brilliant. It really made me laugh. There was quite a funny bit during the ceremony as well. Um, as they were saying their vows to each other, Cassie saying her vows, she kind of got very emotional and choked up and like couldn't quite get through it and was going, you know, to have and to hold and stuff. And it was like it was genuinely a touching moment. But there was someone I still don't know who it was. Someone like two or three rows back, he just went. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so me. It wasn't me. Lame. <laughs> yeah. like, is that just our generation? Then is that our cynical generation incapable of being moved by anything? Like oh, yeah. everything's a joke. Well, I've had a couple of weddings recently, and uh, I did get emotional at them. I was very emotional. I um, remember you the previous telling time, us about that on the show. Yeah, the previous time I was emotional. I think the previous time I cried at anything was when uh, King Kong dies in the remake. <laughs> yeah, it really got me. It was did, you, did you cry in the remake of King Kong? I welled up. 
Those Peter Jackson's just unbelievable. That's talent. so obscure. Like, yeah. how many movies have you seen and that's the one that you cry in? It's not that good. It was pretty good, but it, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. It's not that good. But, but hang on, that came out about eight years ago, didn't it? Oh, God knows. Is that the last time you cried before a wedding a month or so ago? Probably. You're a robot, Tane. Oh, I can't remember that. I can't remember. Yeah, but I can't. Yeah, I've got an awful memory. You know that. So <laughs> I probably cry all the time. I've just forgotten about it. But just King Kong's death really stood that out. That really stood out. It was a really good day on Saturday, but I have to say it wasn't the best weekend of my <laughs> life. <laughs> it wasn't the best wedding of my. <laughs> uh, I was hideously unwell. On Friday 10, I don't know if I mentioned classic, yeah, classic. And I was going to not go, uh, but Will and Cassie both insisted that I came along for some of it. And I'm sure you can understand why they, they wouldn't want to be deprived of my presence, <laughs> uh, even in the sorry state that I was in at the time. I went, I tried to buy a contamination suit, but they'd, uh, they'd run out. Well, I mean, the, the kind of Spencer. the aftermath of the wedding has just been kind of filled with reports of people going down like with dominates. yeah, with horrendous kind of yeah stuff. So you've basically, uh, I think you got nicknamed Noro Boy at one point at the <laughs> wedding, uh, which wasn't particularly. <laughs> no. Well, not me. That wasn't my. I know this is the thing because because I'd obviously uh, had to say to Will and Cass the day before, I was like, do you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm I'm really not very well at all. So like. They knew, and by extension, everyone knew that I wasn't very well. And so that was like, that was my thing. Like, yeah. I turned up at the wedding and no one, first of all, everyone set up like a, <laughs> a perimeter around me, almost like a bubble that no one would step in. And then also, that was the only thing that anyone said to me. I couldn't have a conversation about anything else. And there were so many people there, like from the UK, like university friends of Will and Cass, that I like was introduced to. And they'd go to shake my hand and be like, I won't shake your hand. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I've heard about you. You're, you're the guy who's been vomiting everywhere. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah that's me. Yeah, not, not the best thing to have at a wedding. No, it was a good, good day, though, good do around. Left pretty late in the day. Well, what time did you leave? Uh, well, everyone had gone by kind of one. So, yeah, I left about one. Did you go, what I hear is that you got a taxi home with a couple of other people and asked the taxi driver to drop you off in town, which is a bit of a walk from... Your house. No, I got food. I well, food. this is it, because Patrick was telling me that he was like, oh, nothing's open, Tane. Everything was there open. Are, there are no pubs open. And you were like, nah, I'm just going to get some nuggets. No, no, it's I went like, to that. I went really to catch up with some of the... Well, in that the is, end, it, that in is the end, bleak. In the end, it turned out to be quite bleak. But no, I'd gone <laughs> I'd gone to meet some people. So, you know, I, I called around people from the wedding, people not from the wedding. No one was around, couldn't get hold of anyone. So I just got food and went home. Blame everyone else. <laughs> uh, anyway, what's coming up on the show today is a question. Uh, and the answer is this. The Ashes build-up starts now. Australia have announced their squad. So we're going to be picking over that in a moment. We've got yet more of your questions to answer as well. And there will no doubt be time for some side notes. So an awful lot to look forward to there. But just before we get going, how are you getting on with the book, Tone? Mm, yeah, the book. Yeah, no, it's in my car from <laughs> last week. No, it's, it's, uh, I've been mega busy, but, you know, the sun's starting to come out. Well, not starting to come out. The sun has come out in the last week or two. I'll probably I, just go and take a towel outside, lie down, read it sometime over the weekend, I was thinking. Because I gave you a book on last week's show, didn't I, yeah. to read. Your, your homework for the last couple of months has been to read a novel that involves cricket. It's only about 130 pages, that book that I gave you. And last week you were like, yeah, on the show, you were like, yeah, I could read that in a couple of weeks. And then afterwards you are like, this is nothing, mate. This is nothing. I could read this in a couple of days. Uh, and you just haven't really even started it, have you? Uh, no, oh, but it's really difficult. There's just not enough time. I find that hard to believe, though. I do find that hard to believe. 
Because how much how much text do you read on the internet? Yeah, quite in, a lot. In but I, I can't sacrifice. I don't know. There's just, time is it's amazing. I don't know how people deal with like children and animals <laughs> and stuff. Like I live enti- I live an entirely selfish life, really, in many ways. But how can you like? I don't know. How do you find time to work, pursue sporting kind of goals, endeavors? Do a po- how do you do a podcast? Yeah, do, like see family and stuff. No time. And you just can't fit a book. I into can't it. fit a book. Books do not fit into my life at the moment, but they will. I'll try and find some way of squeezing. Them I just in. know that you spend a lot of time on like Pitchfork and. But I've had no Buzzfeed. <laughs> and I've had Reddit. I've had no time. TMZ. Ashes. On this item, we talk about the ashes, and this is the first of God knows how many instalments of this particular item this year, Tony. We're recording this on the night of Thursday, April the 25th, which means that there are 75 days to go until the first test gets underway on July the 10th. It certainly feels like it's getting closer because Australia announced their squad this week. Uh, There are 16 names in it, and I will just read it to you. They've gone for Michael Clarke as their captain. Left field. Then also Brad Haddin, Dave Warner, Ed Cowan, Phil Hughes, Shane Watson, Usman Khawaja... Chris Rogers, Matthew Wade, James Faulkner, the all-rounder, Ryan Harris, Peter Siddle, James Pattinson, Mitchell Stark, Nathan Lyon, and Jackson Bird. So that's the squad. Tony, first impressions? I guess the big headline there is the recall for Brad Haddon back in the squad as vice-captain at the age of 35 after a year out of the team. He did play a little bit in India but that was sort of a, an emergency selection, I think. He's he's really been out of the picture for a year or so, but now he's back and it seems like he's guaranteed to play as he is the vice-captain. Is that a crisis move, do you think, or is that actually an entirely sensible response to the situation that they find themselves in? It is a sensible response uh, in a crisis situation, I think. Crisis is a pretty strong word, obviously, but... Uh, it's a sensible crisis move, is what you're it's saying. A, yeah, it's a sensible move in what is potentially crisis situation i mean they've clearly had a nightmare in the last one to four months uh so you know they've got to respond to it and bringing Haddon in is you know he's been decent against england in the past obviously he's lost a lot initial reaction you know on paper although we said it about new zealand ahead of england's tour of new zealand we we looked at it and we thought well it's a plucky outfit isn't it but probably not going to do too much damage and that's my same reaction here this isn't to say that england will definitely win but I'm confident again, in that sense. <laughs> well, on Haddon, as I say, he did play the last couple of tests in India, but before that, uh, he'd been out of the team for a while. But I think it's worth remembering that he wasn't dropped. The reason he was out of the team was because he left the Caribbean tour for personal reasons. And then Matthew Wade came in, scored 100, and Haddon just couldn't force his way back into that team. So it's not the case that he was left out due to poor form. So I suppose there's no sense here that Australia are kind of backtracking on a decision that they took a while ago. You know, if they were maybe bringing back some of the guys that they have dropped or even sort of pleading for Ricky Ponting to come out of retirement, you know, you'd wonder what they were doing. You'd wonder what they were hoping for. But it's not quite like that, I don't think. I mean, it is probably true that Haddon could have been dropped for poor form before that Caribbean tour. Uh, Between the end of the last Ashes and when he left the side, he averaged 23 in 11 tests. So I don't think that Australian fans were too heartbroken to see him go. But that was a relatively brief period after a long period where he was very, very good. Uh, He was one of the few Australian success stories in the uh, Ashes hammering. And he's also very experienced. And this is the reason why 
they've brought him back. He's actually only played 44 tests, which isn't an astronomically high figure, but it is about 30 more tests than most of the rest of that squad. And also, the vast majority of those 44 tests had him as played as a sort of senior figure in the team. The loss of Ponting and Hussey has undoubtedly opened up uh, an experienced vacuum in this Australian side. That was something that was a real problem in India. It wasn't the only problem in India, but it certainly didn't help. I do think that Haddon's inclusion, at least on paper, gives the side a much more solid look. Yeah, definitely. His, his name jumps... It does jump off because to the English fan, or you know, they, a lot of these players they've not seen uh, in England. So the sight of Haddon in the team, it kind of does give it a more credible feel. Yeah, more certainly. robust look. Yeah. yeah, and in terms of players that England will be worried about, Michael Clark is obviously one. Uh, some of the bowlers for sure, but other than that, you know, maybe not so many. But Haddon is someone who's made runs against England before. He's made hundreds against England before. It's just another player that they will think, yeah, we we are a bit concerned about this guy. And clearly they needed after, you know, Shane Watson. And it is a shame, given his ability, uh, that he's not really done the business and then subsequently had that homework misdemeanour in India. So they'll be disappointed, I'm sure, the selectors in Australia going back a a little while that Watson hasn't become the senior senior member of the squad. Now he's just another another player you know he's he's not in a position of authority really he's lost well, he's, that authority he's not guaranteed a place in the team at all i feel a little bit sorry for watson though i mean he's obviously had a string of injuries which doesn't help but he's also been kind of mucked about a little bit in terms of where he's batting in the order he was doing really really well as an opener and then because of injury warner and cowan came in kind of took that place away from him uh and you could argue that watson's record is better than either of those at the top but He's sort of seen as someone who can who can bat in the middle order, and so he's been moved down. But he's been moved around four, five, six, and you know I I feel a little bit sorry for him in that sense. But he was the vice captain. He's been replaced by Haddon. Do you think that maybe the the choice of vice captain is more important than normal at the moment? With ten Ashes tests in quick succession, what's the likelihood of Michael Clarke playing all ten of those? There's a very good chance that Haddon will lead the team out at some point. Well, because point. of injury. Because of injury, yeah. England might even be thinking the same thing. They changed their vice-captain recently. It was Stuart Broad. It's now Matt Pryor. They chose Stuart Broad to be the vice-captain, then panicked when they realised he might actually have to captain the team and replaced him with Matt Pryor. I guess Australia doing the same thing, sort of choosing a vice-captain who could actually be the captain if necessary. It's a kind of unprecedented situation, I think. In a way, it's a shame that we've not got two better sides kind of coming together you know there are, obviously we're going to get very excited about the ashes and a lot of people are but at the moment certainly and you, you know you've mentioned before it you know it's, it seems to be kind of getting closer all the time but there's not the build-up's been quite muted it feels like we, i mean we are still two and a bit months well away. yeah we're still quite a way away aren't we but uh but yeah you know australia don't look that good i don't know england aren't aren't necessarily quite there but then that doesn't necessarily mean it won't be a really exciting series between two kind mm. of two sides with their own troubles that that might make the best cricket the other big headline from this squad announcement is the call-up of chris rogers another player picked for his experience he's 35 years old but only one test to his name the reason he's been picked is because he's got so much experience of cricket in england having scored 9,000 runs in county cricket over the past decade what do you think though tane do you think this is a, a sensible selection going with someone who's had a lot of success in county cricket is that is that the right thing for Australia to be doing? Yeah, it's a good, it is a difficult one. Uh, it's not the ideal situation, and uh, and from an England perspective, it's not something that England 
have often been able to do because there aren't many, just because of the way things are, the way things work. Yeah, you know, England players aren't really often out playing cricket around the world and can be called upon uh, when, when they tour. And if they, you know, if they are, it's they, they're probably because they're touring, you know, with a Lions squad or something. But for Australia, it's slightly different because there are, you know, there's a lot of Australians playing in the county game. Uh, so, it, yeah, I think it does make a little bit of sense. Clearly, he's going to be pretty comfortable in this situation. But then again, the added pressure of actually playing for Australia in England might might tell. Yeah, and it's just a step up in quality, isn't it? And it's all very well scoring 9,000 runs in the county championship, but that isn't necessarily you know, a, a great indicator of how you'll get on at test level. If county form alone were enough to win international selection, then when England comes to pick their squad, the likes of Vikram Solanke, Rob Key would be in the frame if it was just about how many runs he scored in county cricket. And I think not so long ago, the Aussies would have blanched at the idea that the most important benchmark for their cricketers is English county cricket. Clearly, though, he's of the age that you know, he wasn't going to get a look in in his kind of early, mid, late 20s. Uh, there just wouldn't have been the opportunity. So, you know, there's no, it's not to say he's not a good player. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he's a very good player. And, you know, having said what I just said, it, it, county cricket is still a useful benchmark. Like, you can't necessarily do much more than score runs in county cricket if you're not um, an international player yet. Nick Compton's county form won him an England call-up and he's done really well so far in recent years. Similarly, we've seen players like Jonathan Trott come in off the back of, of county runs and, and be successful, actually be instantly successful. So it's not inherently a bad idea and you, you could certainly argue that Australia need as many players as they can get who have got experience of, of playing in England. You do suspect that the likes of Warner and Hughes might find uh, life tough, uh, at least at first, against the swinging ball. Uh, in fact, I think probably Clark aside, there are doubts about every single member of that batting lineup. So the idea of bringing in a veteran and someone who's got lots of experience of playing in England, it's not the gamble that it might in other circumstances be. It doesn't feel like that much of a, a gamble to me. I, I think it's probably actually quite quite a good idea. Yeah, maybe the bigger gamble, and it, you know, I've read a couple of pieces from Australia saying, you know, why was the squad announced so soon? You know, we're we're weeks away. The England squad announcement is not going to come till much nearer the first test, probably the week before. The groundsmen of England have a you know a really good idea, uh, you know, of what's going on now. And I, uh, you know, I don't know how much notice will be taken. I think, yeah, certainly, certainly things aren't going to be made particularly easy. I don't think, you know, one spinner, England superior in that uh, in the spinning discipline so and by announcing their squad so far in advance they're kind of signaling you know we're trying to win this series through fast bowlers which you don't have to be a genius to work out that that would be their plan but it, it just gives more incentive i think to english groundsmen to prepare the most turning tracks that they possibly can um assuming grand yeah. what do you think then Tone? i think you've kind of showed your hand at various times through this discussion but <laughs> Do you think that this squad is a squad that's equipped to win the Ashes or at least have a good go at it? I'm not asking you for a prediction who's going to win the Ashes, but basically the question is, do you think this is the best squad that Australia could have picked? Yeah, I think it, it's a pretty, it looks like a pretty neat squad selection. Clearly, there's a lot, you know, injuries have played a part in the last few years for Australia in the last year or two. Ryan Harris has picked up an injury, hasn't he? Shocker. Shocker. Harris in injury shock. <laughs> So, uh, you know, if he gets to play any cricket before the first test, probably not. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them a chance. I'll give them a chance. I would have been more confident, you know, if England a little while ago, after what happened in New Zealand, it's definitely shaken my confidence a little bit. Yeah, and I'm, I'm slightly 
nervous about English fans and the English media have already kind of written off the Ashes as, well, England are just definitely going to win. There is a sense that England are going to sleepwalk to victory in the Ashes on the basis of the fact that England was so good in India and Australia was so bad in India. Yeah, I, I don't think that's, you know, that's kind of, you can't climb into bed with that, can you, with that idea? That, that's just two particular series. I mean, you could at the same time say, well, in- England got pretty well hammered by South Africa at home. Australia probably should have beaten South Africa at home. On that basis, Australia are better. So, yeah. it's, not going to be, it's not going to be as straightforward as it might have seemed at various points. Alex Stewart, before the New Zealand series, uh, was talking about 10-0. Probably a bit ambitious. But, uh, you know, if in September England haven't won the home Ashes series, I will be disappointed as an England fan. You know, I, I think they will do it. They should do it anyway. Oh, yeah, I think they're the better team. I think they start as favourites for sure. But I would not write Australia off by any means. And they have picked, I think, quite a decent squad. I think the selectors have done a pretty reasonable job in the circumstances. I can't think of any glaring omissions. Uh, and the pace bowling does look pretty dangerous, I think. Siddle, Pattinson, Stark, Bird and Harris, assuming he's fit. That's a strong five. And it's a five that does worry me as an England fan. It keeps me up at night. Peter Siddle stalks my dreams. It is the batting, though, isn't it? If the top four is Warner, Cowan, Hughes, Watson, England will feel confident about doing a number on all of those. But anyway, are you excited, Tone? Not long to go. As I say, 75 days. Not long. Sun's out. Spring has arrived. Summer next. Just to give you a rundown of the season. <laughs> I don't know why you're talking about that. I asked you about the Ashes. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, well... But I'm excited about cricket, Adam. You know, we're starting to play next next week, and it's just it's, First game it's of arriving. The but uh, yeah, of course, very excited, very very excited. You can't do a cricket podcast and not get really excited about the Ashes, can you? It would be we'd be in the wrong business stupid. if that was the yeah. case. I mean, we probably are in the wrong business. Let's be honest. But yeah. <laughs> we're in the wrong business if we want to do things like make any money yeah. and that kind of stuff. Do you know what it's time for now, Tony? It's time. For- <laughs> <laughs> Just a barely perceptible shake of your head there. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Got a Question. Uh. Hit the jingle. On this item, we say to listeners, have you got a question for us? And many of them say, yes, yes, we have. They send us their questions. And what myself and Tony here do is we try and answer those questions. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, you might remember, Tony, that I've been picking composite 11s uh, for first England and then the West Indies since 1994. The, the post-Atherton era is what we've called it. People love the composite 11 on the show. It's you know, maybe the most popular feature of the show. Would you agree? Yeah, I think its popularity <laughs> might dwindle those. So we run out of, you know, as the weeks go on, when it's like the kind of... Netherlands composite 11 in the post Atherton era it might get a bit more tedious but yeah for, for the time being we're loving it over I've here. picked Roland Lefebvre <laughs> in my Netherlands 11 um, what I said I'd do is, uh, is pick a composite 11 for uh, every test nation it's not going to be every week uh, but over the next few months uh, but we've got a slightly different one this week because we've got an email from Chris Hudson uh, his question uh, is basically to ask me to select an all-time left-handed 11. Bowling as well. Bowling as well, yeah. All all these 11 players, the batsmen bat left-handed, the bowlers bowl left-handed. It's an all-time, it's not just post-Atherton. No, no, all-time. And this is what I've got, Tone. The opening batsmen are Matthew Hayden, 
and Alistair Cook. Number three is Graham Pollock. Then Brian Lara at four, Kumar Sangakara at five. In the all-rounder slot, I've gone for Garfield Sobers. Adam Gilchrist is my wicketkeeper. My spinner is Bishan Bedi. And then a three-man seam attack of Wasim Akram, Zahir Khan and Alan Davidson is an Australian left-arm bowler from the 50s and 60s with an extraordinary average. I think he's got the third best average ever uh, of players that have taken you know, a reasonable number of wickets. 186 wickets at 20, Alan Davidson. A couple of players narrowly missed out, Shivnarine Chanderpool, Graham Smith. But that's the 11 that I've selected. What do you make of that? That would be actually quite a, a useful team, wouldn't it? It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to have a team of 11 left-handers? Certainly, I think some of those guys there would, would make it into the all-time 11, you know, right and left-handed. Uh, Adam Gilchrist might even be the first name on the team sheet. And then, you know, the likes of Lara, Sobers. Graham Pollock averaged 60 with the bat, which is the next best test average after Don Bradman. His career was, uh, of course, curtailed because of apartheid, but many judges consider him to be right up there in the sort of three or four best batsmen of all time. That's the team that I picked. It's quite interesting. It, it sparks an interesting thought, I think, which is, is there something going on here, Tone? It is a noticeable thing about cricket that there are a lot of left-handers, a, a, a lot more, I think, than in the general population. Anecdotally, that's the case, you know, just when you sort of think about it, but it is also backed up by statistics. Somewhere between 10 and 13% of the general population is left-handed. Uh, but they did a study, a team of scientists did a study. A team of nerds. A, a team of boffins <laughs> did a study of the 2003 World Cup and they found that 24% of players uh, batted left-handed. I love that, that that fact, to arrive at that fact, required a team of scientists. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, it was probably like 120 players at the World Cup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is like they, they spent days just analysing. They the, got Dawkins was there. What's some other, Dawkins, what's some other scientists? <laughs> Dawkins, <laughs> Orking. What's the name of that American guy? Brian Cox is probably there. Brian Cox, Lawrence Krauss. They were all there, uh, and they came up with a figure of twenty-four percent of players <laughs> batted left-handed, which is obviously quite considerably more than the general figure. Uh, double, but not quite almost, double. Almost yeah. nearly double. A team of scientists would tell you that it, it's not quite double. <laughs> But nearly, well, it, you could, maybe it is. If It's between if it's 10 times. and 13%, so if it's 12%, then yes, it is double. Uh, and even more eye-catchingly than that, 47% of batsmen who batted in the top three were left-handed at the 2003 World Cup. Now, obviously, that study is 10 years out of date now, but I would be surprised if the proportion has dropped too dramatically since then. It, it does seem like there are a lot of left-handers in cricket. Do you think there's something going on here? Do left-handed players have an advantage in this sport. Well, no, I can only speak anecdotally, Adam, because that... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm not, I don't have a team of scientists backing me up here. Yeah, I don't think you could say, well, I yeah, I don't think you said they have an advantage, but you'd imagine then, given those figures, you know, I'm coming fresh at those figures, given that yeah, most people, maybe, you know, when you're learning to play cricket, school cricket, club cricket, you know, most people are going to be bowling right-handed. Uh, you know, maybe the left-hander at that that stage kind of, yeah, does have does have a bit of an advantage because, you know, it's a different angles, different kind of different ways to, to play the game. So, uh, yeah, maybe they get a bit more, bit more time at the crease, so they get better, and then, then it translates to better players coming through at the end. I think that's it. I think you've hit the nail on the head Thanks. straight away there, Tay. And I think at the highest level, at test level, international level, left-handed players don't have an advantage, but it's at the lower levels of the game, in school cricket and things like that, where, yeah, the vast majority of people, as we know, as we know from these figures, are right-handed. Right-handed bowlers just aren't as familiar with bowling to left-handers. So at school level with different angles and so on, they're just going to be bowling more bad balls at left-handed batsmen, aren't they? And therefore, left-handed batsmen will spend more time at the crease, develop as players more quickly, and maybe that kind of gives them a, a launching pad to become really top players. And once they get there, it gives them no advantage yeah. at all. And clearly, you know, the, at a 10% to 20% difference, yeah, it's not like every left-handed, every player who starts school is going to, as a left-hander is going to end up as an international cricketer. But, yeah, a few more, you know, the ones who've got a, you know, predisposed to be very good at cricket, yeah, are definitely going to get more, uh, going to get more game time and, and, and a bit more share, you know, the lion's share of the uh, the opportunities. But it is an interesting thing, and it, you know, it, in football, people always talk about how, like, left-footed footballers seem to strike the ball cleaner. There's something about the way it comes off, so, uh, you know, a left foot as opposed to a right foot. And it, in a way, it's similar in cricket, isn't it? There's, there is something about the way, when you see kind of, yeah, Chris Gale just launched one out the ground. It just seems to the pickups just seems just cleaner. Yeah, it's all... than when you see someone like I don't know someone who's not Chris Gale. Paul Collingwood is <laughs> always yeah. my go-to guy. Paul Collingwood, your typical right-hander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there, there is definitely you know there's definitely you know when you look at players Gilchrist. I mean yeah, obviously there's, there's countless examples. Peterson as a right-hander. No, I, I do agree though that for some reason it is are probably more aesthetically pleasing watching left-handed players bat. It's hard to pin it down to anything, but maybe it's just a coincidence. But yeah, Gale, Gilchrist, Lara, a lot of the most aesthetically pleasing batsmen in history have been left-handed. There may be nothing in that. It may just be coincidence. Obviously, there are countless examples. Tendulkar, other examples, countless examples uh, of aesthetically pleasing right-handed batsmen. But I I agree with you. When when Chris Gale launches one, if he was right-handed, maybe it wouldn't be quite as dramatic. Yeah, it just doesn't quite work. I, yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult one. Maybe it's just because it is the majority of batsmen are right-handed. So, and a, growing up, you see people batting right-handed more. It's more exotic to have a left-hander. <laughs> yeah, it's well exotic. <laughs> it's well it? exotic. But then that doesn't really tally up because uh, uh, you know at times like Sri Lanka, they had loads of left-handers in one stage, didn't they, in the team? Yeah, West Indies had loads of left-handers at the top of the order. England had loads of left-handers at the top of the order. Driscothic, Strauss, Cook. Cook. 
The list goes on. The list is endless. <laughs> the list is endless. I think the, the, the point about aesthetics, though, I think there's something in that. I was just thinking, when Peterson plays the Switch hit, that looks amazing. But when Dave Warner plays the Switch hit, it doesn't look quite as spectacular. I don't know whether that is because of the fact that it's right-handed becoming left-handed rather than left-handed becoming right-handed. I don't know. Well, we're both, you know, extremely aesthetically pleasing right-handed bats, aren't we? That's so true, yeah. It's hard, probably hard for us to kind of understand why people <laughs> would say that about left-handers. You're reasonably ambidextrous, aren't you? Not really, no. A little bit. I could play a shot with my left-handed. Not very well, though. Yeah, you could, because I, I cannot do anything with my left hand. I'm not just talking cricket. I mean, anything Well, I can't all. do much, really. Because you know, you, know, you know how my handwriting is terrible. <laughs> Are you aware of yeah, this? I'm aware. One of the teachers at primary school gave me the nickname Spider, uh, which was because my handwriting looked like a spider had crawled into the ink pot and across the page. Uh, you, when you went to school, you still had ink pots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I went to school in the 1950s. Then, <laughs> yeah. People are often surprised to hear that I'm in my 60s. How but uh, but wouldn't that, would that, how weird would that be? If you'd been listening to this podcast for like a couple of years or whatever, and you suddenly discovered that like, you were in your 20s and I was in my 60s. That would be really weird. <laughs> would, that, would that change your perspective on this podcast? <laughs> uh, but yeah, my handwriting is absolutely terrible. And people used to say to me all the time, uh, have you ever thought, maybe you're left-handed? <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe you've sort of forced yourself to write with your right hand, but you're actually left-handed. Just like, no, I don't think that's what it is. But, I mean, as good as batting left-handed is, you wouldn't want to have to write left-handed, would you? It's awful. You have to do that stupid thing where you're like, you can't, you're going to smudge it otherwise. If you've got a pen and you're left-handed, imagine writing left to right, left-handed. You have to do a weird thing with, like, crab arm, so, <laughs> and, like, write so that you don't smudge the page. Because otherwise your, your fingers that aren't gripping the pen just wipe across the page, don't they? Yeah, so uh, as you're writing, every, your fingers are training across everything yeah, you've just written. Yeah, so you need, to, you need to kind of do a weird arm. It's just the sort of thing left-handers have to deal with day-to-day. -day. Nightmare existence. Every day, I thank God, I'm not left-handed. <laughs> the side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the Cricketing Week. As if Australia's Ashes squad announcement wasn't offbeat enough for you. <laughs> As if it wasn't enough of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, am I, am I right? Just that was a joke. Am I right? Yeah. We're going to take you much more seriously, Australia. I've got two side notes for you this week, Tane. You'll never believe it. Neither of them are from Crick Info. The first one comes from a website called NDTV. Tendulkar thanks well-wishers on his 40th birthday. Sachin Tendulkar was a picture of humility as he celebrated his 40th birthday with a brief cake-cutting ceremony, thanking his legions of fans for their unconditional love in a cricket career spanning over two decades. The Mumbaikar made a brief statement to the media before cutting a cake. Quote, Let me take this opportunity to thank all the people in India and well-wishers all over the world who have supported me and showered me with unconditional love. It has been really special and it is because of their good wishes that I am standing here. Tendulkar said he wanted to thank each one of his fans personally for supporting him for over 24 years. Quote, Since I can't do that, it is a good opportunity to thank, to thank them for every little thing that they have done for me. I just wanted to say thank you. What, something I'm just reading an article about how he's got loads of cars. Got millions of cars. He does have a lot of cars, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, he just drives around Mumbai in the dead of night, driving endlessly around the ring roads and stuff like Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> just going around and around. That's really cool. He's bought some tungsten tip screws. He's 40 years old, Tone, Sachin Tendulkar. 40. Look at him. Not that, it's not actually that much older than us, is it? Really? <laughs> yeah. It's just quite horrible. Slightly terrifying in a way. I mean, it is. It's quite a bit older than us, but 
Yeah, we've talked about this before, but that is the thing, isn't it? That sport is just such a weird thing that he is seen as such an old man, but 40 is actually still reasonably young. But yeah, he's still going strong, still going strong at 40 years of age. It's like, you know, it's like he's 95 or something. (laughs) It's like, you're going to cut the cake, granddad. (laughs) Uh, What are you going to be doing when you're 40, Tane? That's the question. Do you think you'll have achieved everything that Sachin's achieved? Uh, probably wouldn't have scored quite as many runs as him. I'm hoping that I will have scored at least 6,000 test runs. You know, not as many as Sachin. I think that's probably out of the question at this point, but maybe 6,000, 7,000. Have you seen the film Man on Wire? I've seen bits of it. I think I might have left halfway through. Yeah, that's right. I think yeah. we watched it and you left halfway through in a half. Well, it's, basically, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's the story of this uh, French tightrope walker who... Uh, rigged up a cable between the the twin towers of the World Trade Center and uh, tightrope walked across it in I think 1974 or something like that. It's an amazing film. I really really enjoyed it, and it is genuinely inspirational. And it's like, I mean, he he had no, he wasn't like allowed to do it, so he had like no safety, no harness or anything. It's an extraordinary thing that he did, and it is like it's like one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen. But only after the movie did I discover that he that when he did it. He was 25 years old, which is the age that I am at the moment. And it kind of depressed me because I was like, well, I haven't achieved anything like that. But then I thought, well, he was 25 when he did it. I'm still 25. Can can I do something similarly amazing before my 26th birthday? Now, it's in two months' time, so I've bought the cable. Right. (laughs) Can you come with me? I'm going to rig it up between uh, two buildings in town here. Can you come with me? I've not done any practice or anything. Maybe I thought, you could cross Smith Street or something like that. That's cross like... Smith Street, yeah. Smith Street, one of the, one of the main streets. One of the low-rise streets. <laughs> in Guernsey here, in St. Peterport. I've, I've done no training, but I thought... I mean, he had to train for 20 years or something to be able to do it. I haven't got that much time. But maybe the fear of what will happen if I fall will be enough to keep me up there. So I think I'm just going to get up there and see what happens. <laughs> Are you up for holding? I'll uh, bear, mate. The cable? Anything. Yeah, I'll do anything. Yeah, I'm up for that. The thing is, it is really impressive. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can't criticise anything in, without someone going, oh, could you do it, though? Just because you can't do it. But, you know, and obviously he's the, the guy mastered. And Philip it is an Petit art. is his name. He mastered the art of tightrope walking. And it's, you know, it's an old art, isn't it? It's an it's a ancient craft. But it's a bit pointless, isn't it, really? It, it, I mean, he jeopardised the, the safety of. You know, many people below him. Uh, so reckless is probably the word I'd use. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? She, yeah, she emphasizes that. I feel you in a way. I mean, obviously it's pointless, but then everything's pointless. So name me one thing that isn't pointless. And it's just like a, a an astonishing thing. It just makes you go, wow, that's amazing. Like, it's for no reason. It's just amazing. Yeah, well, it's ar- arguably things, more things should be about that. Yeah. I think. And the, the film is great as well. Like, it's really well done. It's oh, really if it made a good film, then it was, yeah, it was worthwhile. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah, he's just so, like, enthusiastic and French as well, which, you know, kind of increases his enthusiasm even more. <laughs> Talking about lighting a cigarette, he's like, there's a click of the lighter and there's a crackle at the extremity of the cigarette. And you're like, wow, you're just lighting a cigarette. I don't know if it's the most extraordinary thing ever. Anyway, yes, I'm going to walk on a wire, so... Listeners might like to uh, check the obituary pages over the coming weeks. Another side note here comes from the Los Angeles Times. Now, I posted this one on on Facebook uh, the other day, so listeners may have seen it already, but uh, I'm going to read it to you now. Fastest century in cricket. Chris Gale scores 100, becomes legend. West Indies batsman Chris Gale rocked the sports world Tuesday 
setting Twitter ablaze with praise in 140 character dollops when he scored Dollop. the, when he scored the fastest hundred runs in the history of professional cricket after just 30 pitches. The left-hander, left-hander type, playing for the Royal Challengers Bangalore, delivered blow after nonchalant blow beyond the boundaries against the Pune Warriors while barely moving his feet in a performance that surprised even himself. Quote, I'm lost for words. It was just one of those days. All I had for breakfast this morning was a plain omelette, two pancakes and a hot chocolate. Oh. One of his sixes, brackets, a home run of sorts, scored when a ball is hit outside the boundary without a bounce, was whacked so hard off Pune bowler Ashok Dinder that it reportedly damaged the roof. Gale, dubbed Gale Force by the Indian media, batted 175 points at Bangalore's Chinnaswamy Stadium without getting put out, the highest ever individual score in 2020, an abbreviated form of cricket that lasts hours rather than days. Quote, Today was his day, said Ayaz Memon, an independent cricket writer. His brand value is going to shoot up drastically, since a lot of money is at stake in these matches. Every team will want to buy him for the next season. So there you go, Tane, that's what the Americans made of it. And it was astonishing, and it would have to have been astonishing to capture the attention of the Americans, wouldn't it? Well, you'd think so, although, I mean, I, I feel like, in a way, we're kind of being uh, snooty. I mean, it is kind of laughable the way they've described it, but I suppose for an audience that's completely unfamiliar with cricket, that's how they need to do it. And I feel a bit bad because there are actually a lot of people listening to us right now that are in North America. A big howdy partner to all of you. Um, uh, so clearly some people are interested in cricket over there. Yeah, no, it was really cool that it's getting a mention. And it was a ludicrous innings, wasn't it? Did you see it? I saw, I didn't see all of it. I was at work, I've got a job. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you could have seen the highlights. No, no, I've, I've, seen, I've seen highlights, but yeah. I haven't seen every ball. Well, no, I was at no. work. I've also <laughs> yeah, got a job, but I did see the highlights. No, uh, it was uh, it was it was ridiculous, astonishing stuff. I mean, I know we talked on last week's show about uh, how we're not that interested in the IPL. Uh, you know, it's not the highest standard of cricket and everything. So you could say, oh, well, he's, you know, Gail, he's he's done this, but he's done it in the IPL. Who cares? But it's not like every player is going out and doing that in the IPL. No. It's so much more amazing than anything else that anyone's doing in the IPL. We said, uh, you know, off the back of the World 2020, didn't we? We said, you know, who's, well, and during it, who's the who's the best batsman in 2020? He's probably the best batsman ever. And it was kind of, you know, Gail, Watson, maybe Brendan McCullum. Uh, and, it, you know, Gail edged it for six. Uh, edged it. <laughs> you make that joke every time you use the expression, edged it. <laughs> Gail edged it, didn't he? Obviously, they won the, the Windies and he had a phenomenal tournament. But, I mean, it's, pretty undisputed now that he is the king of 2020 well no there's no one else in the world that could do anything approaching yeah. that i mean not only is it the fastest hundred ever in 2020 it beats the previous record by seven balls which when you consider we're talking about 37 balls to 30 balls that's like breaking the 100 meter world record by like half a second or a second or something it's it's astonishing what he's done there it's hard to imagine anyone's gonna get 175 again anytime soon in a 2020 match a single score of the 175 is well unless gail does it Real, yeah, it's, hard to, it's hard to imagine anyone else doing it but it's not impossible that gail could do it i mean the highlights are it, it's quite a weird thing watching the highlights because it is this kind of sensory overload of just six after six and you do become a bit desensitized 17 to sixes wasn't it 17 sixes yeah which is also a record and i mean this is another thing we talked about that you know there's too many sixes in 2020 too many in 
shorter forms of cricket and they're making the boundaries shorter and all that kind of stuff. And that is all true, and there's no doubt that this kind of innings just couldn't have happened previously. But as I say, it's not like everyone else is doing this. It's a little bit like, you know, when people say about Bradman's average of 99, it's like, well, how seriously can you take it? Because, you know, cricket was so different then and maybe it was just a lot easier to bat and stuff. But it's so much better than anyone else at the time that it's undeniably remarkable. And I feel that a similar thing is true here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's quite incredible. Scale has been around for a long time, hasn't it, already? And it's kind of, it has taken a little while for 2020 to kind of to get uh, you know a true kind of star of 2020 but undoubtedly Gale now is like I hate to use the term but he's box office isn't he he bestrides the sport doesn't he yeah he does he he transcends it well in some parts of the world he is bigger than cricket America possibly being one of those Um, and remember that this is a man who was ignored by the franchises at the auction two years ago he was only signed by Bangalore when they had an injury he was an injury replacement which is extraordinary when you think about that now, because he's doing all right for himself, isn't yeah. he? Much like the demise of boy band JLS, the end of this episode of The World Cricket Show is sure to leave millions of teenage girls all over the world heartbroken. It's been a great run tone, but it's time to call it a day. Is it? Yeah. Not the podcast, I mean this episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. I'm ready to go, mate, I'm ready to go. You look surprisingly pleased about <laughs> yeah, the, the like, like, I thought, like, is he joking, is he? Because uh, I didn't want to say it. But... Like, is it? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Uh, How many years before JLS do a reunion tour, Tone? Or can we count it off in months, do you think? It's probably, it's next year, isn't it? I'd say <laughs> it's this time next year. The one-year anniversary of the breakup. <laughs> I remember you getting really annoyed when Take That came back uh, and did their reunion tour. They released their album called Never Forget. And I remember you being really annoyed. You were like, they've only been away for about seven years. <laughs> so of course you haven't forgotten. <laughs> uh, but you actually love Take That now, don't I you? I love Take That. And I just, I've, I don't know, I've just been captured by the song Greatest Day somewhat and it's become a bit of an anthem. I don't really understand that, though, because it's such a tedious song, that. And it like it's so... It's so uplifting. It's so the same as all <laughs> yeah, other yeah. pop songs like that, all of which you hate. But when that comes on in the pub, you're, you're singing your heart out. Yeah, no, I think it's just a kind of... It's like one of those songs that's just become a bit of a thing. Today this could be... <laughs> I like, you can do impressions. You just can't now, Barlow, can you? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one impression you can't do. Quick update uh, Rajasthan Roars down to fourth now in the IPL table. Who's top of the Plummeting. table? The, uh, can you guess? Uh, is it Royal Challengers by Glow? Chris Gales, RCB, on top of the table. Chennai uh, second? You have to go all the way down to fifth to find the Kings 11. <laughs> They're doing. Wee, they're yeah. doing all right. I mean, they're literally mid table. I mean, they? we got this, it's the same points as Rajasthan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What is it? RCB top. Who's second? Chennai. Uh, Bangalore, Chennai, Hyderabad, Royals, the Punjab, Indians, Night Riders, Warriors, Daredevils. Daredevils are having a nightmare, aren't they? Daredevils. Yeah, they need to do some high wire walking. I think. I don't know. I don't know. Did you get the reference? Well, I get the reference, but it's not really a joke, is it? <laughs> the Daredevils need to take a hike on the high wire. There you go. Okay. That makes more sense. Makes slightly more sense. I'm off to London this weekend, Tone. I didn't know that. Uh, well, you don't know everything about my life, do you? What, what are you doing in London? I'm uh, meeting up with London correspondent Gordon oh, Cray and the rest of the lads. Oh, you know. Yeah. What am I going to do? <laughs> didn't get the invite to that. What, you didn't get the invite to London? Yeah. You can come if you want. Yeah, it's too late now. Book a flight. God, I'm busy. So yeah, so that should be fun. When I get back, 
our first cricket match of the season is the next day. Uh, I've, I, I got the uh, I got the text today. I've been picked, been selected uh, for this for this game. Someone dropped out. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really irritating me though because uh, the the club captain has texted me <laughs> countless times to say, "Can I have your email address, mate?" That I text him with my email address, uh, and he goes, "Okay, cool, cheers." And then like two weeks later, he's like, "Like, I need your email address." And then the other day, he was like, can you give me your email address again? I can't get it to work. And I gave it to him again. He's like, okay, cool, cheers. Yeah, that seems to be working. And then I got a text today from the second team captain saying, hi, Adam, uh, it's Mike here. I haven't got an email address for you, so uh, I've had to text you. It's like, I don't understand how this is so difficult. It's not even a complicated email address. But anyway, so I'm going to warm up my bowling arm this week because that was something I didn't do before the Nets last week. No, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be good. We've got some fresh fresh additions to the team. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big season, I think. Predicting great things for Kobe Second Eleven. <laughs> you know. In Guernsey Evening League Division 3. Yeah, Any- on that note. Anyway. On that bombshell. Uh, yeah, we're not, sorry, we're, the top, we're not top girl, are we? <laughs> you really want us to be top girl. No, I don't. You just want to be Hammond, don't you? I'm not Hammond. Stop saying I'm Hammond. You are Hammond. <laughs> you can cut that. If probably. I'm Hammond, then you're Clarkson. I think Clarkson is more popular. As hated as he is, he's more popular than Hammond, I think. <laughs> oh, I do not like Richard Hammond. I'd rather be Nick Knight than Richard Hammond, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> anyway, on that bombshell, uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week uh, with more cricket chat. But between now and then, if you like the show, then probably the best thing that you could do about it would be to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we do really appreciate all of those. It's a really important thing in trying to boost us up the old charts and all of that. Uh, you can like us on Facebook as well at facebook.com slash cricket show. Suggest it to your friends. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash cricket show. You can follow Tony at Tony Cover, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. haven't tweeted for about 10 days, but that's a good thing because you don't want to follow someone who's just cluttering up uh, your newsfeed. I retweet about once a month uh, and I probably tweet about twice as often as that. So, you know, if you want the odd pearl of wisdom about anything. About something to do with betting, probably. Yeah, probably, yeah. Follow, Follow me. Send us an email as well, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. And if you check out our online website, www.cricketshow.net, you can listen to the show on there and you can also purchase your World Cricket Show T-shirt for just £15, including free shipping to anywhere in the world. We got uh, an email this week asking if we're uh, going to be bringing out any more merch, Tone. We've had merch. we've had stickers, we've had badges, we've had T-shirts. Where can we go now? Well, I mean, first of all, buy a T-shirt. You know, summer's here and there ain't nothing cooler than a guy in a World Creek Show T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, as we found out. That's the People. slogan. Yeah. Ain't uh, nothing cooler than a guy in a World Creek Show T-shirt. Uh, but the merchandising kind of possibilities and opportunities are endless. Do you think we can get Clooney in a World Cricket Show t-shirt? Or Brad Pitt or something like that? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I feel like, you know, they're pretty, they're popular stars, aren't they? I mean, possibly they're a bit old, maybe, at this point. Yeah, they're pretty... still big stars. Can we get Jimmy Stewart in a World Cricket Show t-shirt? <laughs> we'll get, so we'll find someone. We'll can find someone for can sure. we get Emilio Estevez in a World Cricket Show t-shirt? I'm going to give a World Cricket Show t-shirt to someone famous. That's, I'm going to make that my mission for the next kind of, well, 
don't know when I'm going to see anyone famous. <laughs> so <laughs> when I think of where I can see someone famous, I will then engage in that mission. And what other merch can we do? We, we talked about bringing out mugs. Mugs, a bit boring though. You're into your tea, but I don't know about tea. Uh, what do you mean you don't know what about, about tea? What about barbecue skiers? That's like, so niche. Branded. Though. How small would that artwork have to be though to fit on a barbecue skier? Well, what about a like a grill that's kind of got the World Cricket Show logo? So when you cook your steaks on it, it brands them with yeah, the logo. Cooks the logo. Just, just they'll get covered in you know, burnt <laughs> fat and stuff like that. I suppose that's a reasonably apt metaphor. <laughs> People drink tea, though. People drink tea at work all the time, don't they? And coffee as well as also a very popular yeah, no, drink. No one People, wants to know what their workmates are into, though. People need mugs. Yeah, people do need mugs. I agree. So we'll, we might sort out mugs. What's the margin on a mug, though? It's minimal. Come on, right, let's, let's have a word with those guys who do The Apprentice. See if we can get them to, to sort it out. Could we get... Could we get you know a gig is one of the tasks no, of that'd the be great get someone to listen to this podcast <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. your task this week is to promote this podcast that'd be brilliant because a bunch of idiots got on the apprentice so i'm not sure how useful it would be i love that i love the like the reveal you know when they like do they look and then you get like kind of the people from the company or whatever that they've been working with to give the critique this would be us too just going like it's really good actually you know, we, we never thought of that <laughs> Thanks very much. Mick Hewer just shaking his head. Yeah. Oh, dearie right, me. Let's go out there, I'm hungry. Let's go. Stay in school, everyone. We'll see you next time. Keep watching cricket. Bye for now. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'm the host and with me... That's <laughs> drinking water. Well, I just thought I'd interrupt your, <laughs> your corny intro, Adam. Uh, carry on. Actually, what is it you do around here, Tony? Oh, it's good. I'll tell you what, I'm surprised you've still got, you've still got any lines left. You know, we've been doing this so 180 long. episodes in. <laughs> yeah, still finding new ways <laughs> to try and knock me off my perch. What do you think, though, Tane? Do you think this is a, a sensible selection going with someone who's had a lot of success in county cricket? Is that is that the right thing for Australia to be doing? Mm. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.